Well, over the last few weeks, we've been going through a series where we're studying what Jesus has to say to the seven churches that are addressed from the book of Revelation. And so today we're going to tackle another one. And this one, I find I have a difficult time pronouncing the name of because I've heard it multiple ways from Thyatra to Thyatira to Theatra or that church with the T name, right? It's all over the place. But for the purposes of this message, I'm going to say Thyatra because that's just what rolls off my tongue the best. (laughs) But we're going to look at what Jesus says to the church of Thyatra, or more importantly, what we're going to call it, what Jesus says to a tolerant church. And I think this one hits home more so than things that I have heard before because we live in a culture that has ingrained us to be tolerant. It is looking at the society around us or our cultural values or our morals or the things that the world tries to persuade us to do, to be tolerant of, even though we know that it's wrong as a Christian to engage in these things. And so Jesus has some very pointed things to say to this church and their tolerance specifically. But in order for us to fully understand this and how it relates to us, we need to take a step back and truly understand this church of Thyatira. We need to understand its history and its background and why these words are so powerful that Jesus speaks. See, the the church of Thyatira, it was a very well and prosperous church. It was located in a very prominent trade route in the region, and they were just economically on the rise. Everything about this church was prosperous. Their finances, their growth, their capital, people just coming in from all over the world to trade goods. It was the perfect place to be. And if you wanted to engage in this fruitfulness of the economy, you had to be part of all this trade movement, which means that if you held a job and you wanted to get money, there was a catch. You had to be part of a trade guild. Now, a trade guild is not like a union, what we would call it today. It's this weird wedding of government and economy and your own personal theology. And so these believers at Thyatira, they had a very difficult problem on their hands. You see, to be a part of this trade guild, they'd have to kind of make some sacrifices. They'd have to kind of push the lines a little bit or give away in certain areas to have this perfect mesh of how these three things balance, the theology, the government, and their economy. Even archaeologists have been able to find in this location coins that date back to this period that have pictures of these idols and these false gods shaking the hands of the emperor. It was a massive part of their society and of their culture. But the question for them was, How do we respond to this? How do we engage in things that we know are wrong? Because even more worse than being part of this trade guild is that these trade guilds held these massive banquets, these huge feasts and festivals that were grossly known for their sexual immorality. And so these believers, they struggled. They said, I want to prosper. I want to be able to provide. I want to be able to survive in this area. But to do so, I'm forced to be a part of this society, of this culture, of this union that I disagree with. And they didn't know how to respond to this. They didn't know truly what to do. Here they are. They have just received the word of God and they're growing in faith. They're maturing in the spirit. They're economically prospering. Things seem to be going well. But in the midst of all of this, they're being asked to get sucked into this negative consequence. And there's no way of escaping it. How do we respond to situations like that? I'm sure most of us are in similar situations with our society, with our jobs, with the things that we do in our lives. You see, we're all tolerant to something. And it's a question that Jesus directly needs to address because even in the church of Thatcher, there is tremendous social and cultural pressure coming towards them. 
and we don't know exactly how long this church had been in existence, but looking for most of the other records, it's a newer church with newer believers. And it's very easy for them to be persuaded and to be kind of diluted to thinking other things than what they originally knew to be true. And so Jesus, he writes to this church of Thyatira, and he's going to speak some very important words about their tolerance that we need to take note of. And so we're going to be looking in the book of Revelation, starting in chapter 2 this morning with verse 18. And we're going to kind of go verse by verse and work our way through this, because there's a lot to unpack here, but a lot of really rich, good things that we need to learn, but also some warnings that we need to take heed of as well. So if you join me, we'll start in chapter 2, verse 18. And I want you to notice how Jesus is described here. It says, the Son of God has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like burnished bronze. See, I like this because this is incredible. Simply what this means is that our God is a firm-footed God with piercing eyes. And even later on in verse 23, it alludes to his piercing eyes because it says, I am he who searches the minds and the heart. The mind is your thought life and the heart is your emotional life. He says, I am a God who is firm-footed, who does not waver, who can look to the very depths of who you are and who I am. And I don't know about you, but that's both amazing and terrifying at the same time. It's difficult for me to wrap my head around this. It's amazing because it's comforting for me to know that whenever I'm in pain, whenever I'm struggling, whenever I'm having a hard time, that I have a firm-footed God who is there to hold me up. It means that God will never slip when he's carrying me, that God will never waver when I need him. He is firm-footed and always there. And even in the midst of this, he's got these piercing eyes that can see into the very depths of my soul. So in the midst of a world that likes to bash us as Christians, to chastise the way that we believe and say, your thinking is wrong or it's skewed or it's outdated or it's just ironic, it's just idiotic that we have a God that sees inside our heart and sees how much we truly love him, how much we want to worship him, how much we want to serve him, how much we desire to do these things even though we're placed in situations we have a hard time controlling. That's encouraging. But on the flip side of the coin, it's also terrifying because I have a God that can see into the inner parts of my soul. He knows every good thing and every bad thing that I do. He knows all of these things It serves as a warning for this church, and I want us to take note of this this morning because this is so profound. For those of us who have lived bad lives or lived lives on this slippery slope of compromise and toleration, Jesus says something very significant here. And he starts off, and it's right off the bat, it's plain. It's the first thing I want you guys to write down. Jesus says, don't be tolerant. Don't be tolerant. And we're going to unpack this more as we go through this morning. But right off the get-go, he's saying to the church, in a tolerant church, you cannot just be tolerant. You have to take notice of the things that are going on around you and start to stand for what you believe to be true. And the church of Thyatira, they had a hard time doing this. And it was bad news for people who pretended to be one way on the outside, but in their hearts and in their minds, they were thinking and living something differently. And so Jesus addresses this. But before we look at that a little bit more, I want us to take a look at the next verse, verse 19, to see what Jesus says about this church of Thyatira. He writes and says this, I know your deeds and your love and your faith and your service and your perseverance that your deeds of late are greater than at the first. See, we look at this list of good things and we see there are just as many things mentioned here that are good as Jesus has said to every other church. And that's the whole intention of Jesus. It's to give encouragement, not discouragement. 
It's to give hope and to give love, not to give hate. It's to give healing and not to give hurting. See, that's the God that we have who's firm-footed and has piercing eyes. And he wants to help us through these things. And he looks at this church and he says, look, I'm standing firm and I'm seeing everything that you're doing. And initially from the get-go, it's great. You're persevering, you're growing, you're spiritually healthy. Things are good. But then we see a turn in the text with the next verse. And it's something that we need to address. And I don't want you to miss this. After all the good that's mentioned, Jesus says this, but I have this against you. After all the good, positive things, it says, even looking at everything here, I have this against you. See, the text implies here that this is a growing church. Economically, everything was going good. And when they're starting to think about these things, and he says, you're doing better now than you have ever done before. However, there's still something that's wrong. There's still something that shouldn't be there that we need to address. And this is the moment of insight here that I don't want us to miss. And it's the second thing on your outline. Not only does Jesus tell us not to be tolerant, but the second thing he says is he says, do not drop your guard. And this is so significant because it's so easy that when we start to accept things into our lives, that we drop our guard. And once we drop our guard, we keep dropping it piece by piece and bit by bit at a time until there's nothing left. And we just are immersed into a culture and a society we never wanted to be in in the first place. Now, we don't know exactly if this is what this church did, but it's very easy to see this to be true. You see, because they hear Jesus saying, you're persevering, you're doing good things, you're striving economically, you're spiritually healthy, you're doing great. And it's in the midst of those moments that we hear these things and we get excited. We get built up, we get energized, and we feel good about all of these things. And as they think about these things, they start to drop their guard. Say, well, how can bad things happen when there's so much good going on in my life? And this church wasn't even the only church like this. We know in the church of Galatia, Paul dealed with the same issue. You see, Paul went to Galatia and he built up this church and he preached to it and the Holy Spirit was present and people were coming and it was a church that was on fire for the Lord. And then Paul leaves on his missionary journeys and once he leaves, the church becomes susceptible to this false teaching and they start to stray away from what they known to be true. And so Paul, he writes in the early part of the book of Galatians and says this, I'm amazed that you are so quickly distressing him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which really is no other. There are some disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Paul is saying, let truth be truth. It says, even if I come back and I preach you something different, if it's contrary to scripture, disregard it. Truth is truth. Let the scripture and the word of God speak for itself. Don't be tolerant. Don't drop your guard and say, oh, well, we can bend the rules here, bend the text in this way to make it applicable to my life. We need to stand strong. But the problem was this church in Thyatira, just like the church of Galatia, they started slipping on the truth. They started straying away from what they knew to be right. And so Jesus, he's, he's using this method to write, and he says, I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. And what's said about this church? It says that they tolerated this woman. And what does it mean to tolerate? Simply, it means to become comfortable with something that should make you uncomfortable. And there are all kinds of things in life that make us uncomfortable. Bad relationships, bad morals, bad theology, bad ethics. The list could go on and on and on and on. 
And he says you should not be comfortable with these things. You should not be looking at all of these things or tolerating them. And this church, it was tolerating some bad teaching. And that's what he's addressing here. And it's coming from a woman who's described as a Jezebel. Now, we know in the Old Testament, there's this evil, wicked queen by the name of Jezebel who single-handedly goes in and pretty much convinces all of the Israelites to worship false gods. And this woman, as we infer from the book of Revelation, is described as doing the same kind of thing. It's saying that there's a woman from a different generation to a different group of people who are falsely leading the group of believers into a wayward way of thinking. And the church is tolerating her. One of the translations of this comes from the message, and I like it. It says, she was a Jezebel of a woman, and the church tolerated her. How crazy is that? And there's a lot for us to kind of unpack in this specific verse. So we're going to land here for just a second, and we're going to unpack verses 20 and 21 because there's a lot to digest. And I want you to notice how this woman is described. She's not described as just being a Jezebel, but it says the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. She calls herself a prophetess, a female prophet of God. Now, it's easy for us to overlook the irony and to overlook all of the tension that's going on in this verse because we forget that it's Jesus Christ who's really speaking these words. And he sees this woman and she's standing up and she says, I speak for God. I'm a messenger of God. But who's doing the rebuking? Jesus Christ, God's own son. She stands up and she says, I am a messenger of God. I speak on behalf of God. And Jesus is like, uh, no, you don't. <laughs> she says, no, 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 I have the word of God. I am going to preach to you the word of God, to which Jesus responds, I am the word of God. You see, Jesus has to do some major course correction through this woman in order to get this church back on track. But the problem is that they are so far immersed into this, so tolerant, it's difficult for them to get back out. They don't know right from wrong anymore. But that's not just it. She doesn't just call herself a prophetess. It continues on in the next verse. It says, She teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so they commit acts of immorality and eating things sacrificed to idols. Two more things that we see prevalent in this church is that they're engaging in sexual immorality because of just the society that they're in. It's what's deemed as being appropriate. In addition to that, they're also partaking of things that have been sacrificed to idols. And this is interesting to me because, once again, this isn't the only time we've seen this in Scripture. If you know about church history, it existed even way before this point. In the days of the Apostle Paul, there was this massive influx of Gentiles, these new believers to the faith. And the Christian leaders, they got together and they were overwhelmed by this and they didn't know how to respond to this. They're saying, well, what do we do with all of these new believers? So they convened and they had this meeting in Jerusalem to address this issue. They said, we need to get together. We need to come up with some kind of game plan of how we should treat them or what we should teach them or what are the main things they need to know. And there were a lot of concessions that were made for them. But as a result of this, James, one of the speakers of this meeting, he gets up in Acts 15 and he says this. He says, so my judgment is that we should stop troubling the Gentiles who turn to God, except we should write to them and tell them this. You ready for this? To abstain from eating meat sacrificed to idols and from sexual immorality. There are a bunch of other things said, but he says at the base of this, for a new believer, for a Christian, these are the things you should not do. Sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. And here's this woman who's standing up in front of the church of Thyatira that says, hey, you're a believer? Hey, let's go and engage in sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols because it's what God wants us to do. 
She is directly preaching against the word of God and she doesn't even care. This isn't even the only instance in the book of Acts either. We read about it again in the book of Corinthians where it's a major issue that's addressed of sexual immorality and eating and partaking of things sacrificed to idols. But this woman, she's not even just teaching them, she's living this out with her own life. And she's encapsulating them and getting them to follow her wicked and her wayward ways. And the church is tolerating it. And we need to land here for just another minute and really look at this because the woman is willfully teaching her agenda regardless of what God wants to do. She does not care. And so Jesus lets us know that things need to change. This will not be tolerated. But we see a different side of God in the next verse, in verse 21. In verse 21, it says, And I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent. Once again, I like the message as it paraphrases this, and it says, she has no intention of giving up her career in the God business. What are the implications of this for America? You see, what are the implications that we have a God that is so forgiving, he even gives a woman like this time to repent? That he even reaches this far out to help. It's awesome when I start to think about this. And things, we know they were going well in the church. They're prospering. They're spiritually healthy. Things are great. But then this woman comes in and she starts teaching this false doctrine that you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to be encapsulated in this society and this community in order to fit in. And if you don't fit in, then you don't belong here. And the people began to become strayed by this. And they started walking down a path that was dangerous for them to be down. But even more than that, they tolerated this woman. They tolerated her, even thinking that her teaching was right. And they concluded and they said, well, how could this be wrong when everything is going right? God is blessed. It says we're prospering. We can see it in our own lives. Things are going well. So if it's so wrong, why doesn't God intervene and change it? And I think this is the same questions we ask ourselves when we start tolerating things in our lives. We have this situation or we're in this atmosphere or this society or whatever it may be that we feel and we know it's wrong, but we say, well, if it was really wrong, then God would not allow me to do this or God would not allow this to happen. Or if it is so wrong, why is God blessing me in so many other areas of my life? And we start to justify this. And we become tolerant. And the more tolerant we become, the more desensitized we become to it until we drop our guard and don't even realize that it's wrong anymore. And that's exactly what happened to this church. They didn't know how far in they were. But you see, Jesus was simply giving her time to repent and giving her a chance to escape this coming judgment. Going through a season of life with all things going well may just be an expression of God's patience and not necessarily God's blessing. That's important for us to see. There's one more thing I want to talk about Jezebel and the church here before we move on. And it's that they were learning the deep things of Satan. Uh, It sounds weird. It's like, what? I didn't read that. But it's insane when we start to read this. Let's look at this next verse, verse 24. It says, I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. See, whatever she was teaching, it was all tied up in Satan. And we can never be so spiritually sound that we can afford to dabble with the things of Satan. That's exactly what was happening here. And the church is reasoning, I can stand close to the edge because God's blessing us in so many other areas. I can keep pushing the boundary further and further and further because God will stop it if he doesn't want it to happen. And the church was lost in this thought. And a lot of us are lost in this same thought. And we get on this slippery slope. 
The message paraphrases this verse, says, they were playing around with the devil, and what they were doing got paraded as being profound. There's a part of profundity here that smacks at what enticed the Christians to go astray, and I think it comes from this comment, the deep things. You see, all of us inside of us have this innate nature to want to be on the upper edge. We want to know privileged information. We always want to know the things that we can't know. We always want to know the next step before everybody else knows about it. And we'll go to extreme lengths to make sure that we can do this. And this is kind of what was happening. They're saying, we've discovered something new. This teacher who's teaching us something new, we want to kind of engage in this and follow this because what if she's right? And if she is right, then we're ahead of the curve and we want to be ahead of the curve. We always want to gain in our knowledge. Even Paul writes about this even in regards to the Christian faith. He says, when you first come to the faith, when you're building a relationship with God, when you're starting to develop who he is in your life, it's like milk. It's easy to access and it's easy to digest and it's good for you. But he says, but later on, you're going to encounter some tough things in life, things that are going to be hard to chew on, that you're going to have to work through and it may cause you some pain, but through it, you're going to be strengthened and fortified in your faith. And he likens to this as meat. But this woman, Jezebel, she's not giving the meat of Jesus or this milk of Jesus. She's dipping her ladle into the satanic cauldron and just drinking it up. And she's encouraging other people to do it. And the reason why is because the people were seeing this and it was something that was just different enough. And they were bent on trying to learn and be ahead that they wanted to engage in it. So they just ate and ate and ate this stuff up until they were so full they had no idea where they were anymore. And it was difficult for them to pull themselves out of this. See, there's not much deeper to the Christian life than learning to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. That's what it comes down to. It doesn't get much deeper than truly expressing your love from God and seeing other people come to love. That's the truth of Scripture. That's the most profound that we can get because it's fulfilling to our soul. And it's all that we need. And that's what this church needed, but they missed this. They didn't know what to do with this. And because of this, because they tolerated this woman, there's a punishment that's involved. And we read about that punishment in verses 22 and 23. And it says, Behold, I'll cast her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I'll give to each one of you according to your deeds." See, oftentimes in the Old Testament, the worship of idols is described as adultery. It's giving your affection or your worship or your admiration to something else. And that's exactly what's going on here. And this is the implication of this verse, that they were giving this worship to this woman. And because of this, the people who followed her, because their church had tolerated her, they're going to share in the equal punishment that is prescribed for her. But this gets very rough as we start to read about it, because verse 23 is heavy, heavy, heavy stuff, because it talks about the killing of children. That's difficult for us to digest. And if we're looking at it from a literal sense, it may be the fact that because this woman was engaging in this lifestyle, she was living out this example that she was going into these trade guilds and she was engaging in sexual immorality. And because of this, she became pregnant and she was having children. And literally this speaks of these children from these wrong relationships would end up dying out. And if that's the case, that's hard to justify for us because God's the only one that knows that punishment. But maybe on the literal side, it means that this woman was planting the seed of division in their minds. 
this seed of waywardness to where they were becoming astray and they built up this own generation apart from God's blessing, apart from God's family. And because this wayward generation that was now out and preaching to people the wrong message, the wrong truths of scripture, that they were destined to go. Either way, what we truly see is that there will be a punishment because this woman has a cancerous touch that wherever she goes, things go bad. And because the church tolerated this situation, they now have to deal with the consequences of it. I think it's time for us as a church, as America, to wake up ourselves, to realize that we are a tolerant generation. We are tolerating things that we should not be tolerating in our lives. And Jesus makes it very clear. He says, you need to not tolerate. You need to not drop your guard. But right, you need to stand firm in these things. You need to open your eyes to see the truth of what is happening around you. Because if you don't, you're going to get sucked in and you're not going to know what happened. And he makes it very clear here. And this isn't really much about God's judgment as it about his love and his care for the church. He wants to help you. He wants to save you. And so he's trying to open our eyes to see the truth of what we're doing. The truth of exactly what situations we find ourselves in. He wants to love you and he wants to restore you. And we know that because we see as a reminder in verses 24 and 25, it says, I say to you that the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Hold fast. This word hold fast, it indicates a long-term continuity. It refers to not just running a quick sprint and then crashing and burning, but completing the marathon. He says that this isn't just one battle, it's a war. Don't just win one spiritual battle, but lose the war. He says, you need to hold strong. You need to stay fast. And this is the challenge for every single one of us as believers, as Christians, especially looking at our society today. All I have to do is turn on the news and see how corrupt things are. But especially as we look at it, the challenge is for us to stay true to the course of Jesus Christ, to hear his truth to read his truth, to know his truth, and to follow Jesus the rest of the way and to hold fast. Folks, that's as simple as it gets. That's as easy as it is, is to follow God. But how do we do that? How does that really look? Because this world is good at enticing us into toleration. I am forcing us to give up things or to stretch the lines further and further and further. And by balancing truth and tolerance is how we do this. And the problem of this is that we want to stand for what we know to be true, but at the same time, we don't want to be outcasted. We don't want to feel like we're the only one. We want to fit in and have some kind of balance to our lives. And quite honestly, I think there are moments of our lives when all of us don't exactly know what the rules are. Do I go to this movie that may be rated a certain rating? Do I celebrate this certain holiday? Do I go to this atmosphere or this environment that I know may not be conducive to my health? How do I know what to do? Do I become so regulated that I make myself into a monk so I don't do anything wrong on one extreme? Or do I keep bending and pushing and stretching the lines to see how far I can go before God stops loving me? You see, we all have a difficult time knowing what certain rules are in certain situations. And this is where we start to drop our guard and become tolerant. We start to let little by little by little by little end. And it ends up making bigger and bigger, bigger mistakes. So how do we avoid this temptation? You see, none of us want to do that. And I think when we're in these moments, when we're trying to figure out what the rules are, we find an imbalance in our life. And this imbalance, it it puts us off. We don't know how to respond to it. And the imbalance, it really comes looking from two different ways. 
the first way that we become imbalanced is truth without tolerance. And we're going to call this legalism. And what this means, it's faith without fun. It's souls without a smile. It's people without joy. And this was the era of the Pharisees, where these Pharisees were people who were rule keepers, but they were hateful. They had these spiritual tape measures. They would just measure people's spirituality and they would kind of keep this law and this spiritual thing, but they had no personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, you can make spiritual laws. You can go to church. You can preach all the right things. But unless there's an inward reality of a relationship and a love of Jesus Christ, none of that matters. And this is exactly what legalism is. It looks great on the outside, but on the inside, it suffocates and it kills. And that's a lot how we become imbalanced. We say, oh, I've got to do this. The Bible says this. Let me just focus on this. And we're so bent on these rules that we miss out on the relationship with Jesus Christ and what he wants for us. And if it's not that, then it's the opposite side of the spectrum. And it's tolerance without truth, which we'll call liberalism. And this is the anything goes position. And the problem with this position is that it doesn't take seriously sin. It's where they say, you know what? Well, if I, what I think and what I feel is right, well, I'm just going to do these things. And if I start doing these things and what I think and what I feel I should be doing, I'm actually going to do and they're going to become a way of life. And if they become a way of life, then God's just automatically going to accept it. It's literally being so open-minded that your brains are just falling out. And that's how a lot of people approach things. They said, you know what? I'm going to bend the rules because what the Bible says is God just wants me to be happy. God just loves me and he wants to be happy, so I'm just going to do this sin because God wants me to be happy and I'm happy in this sin. That's where a lot of us find ourselves. We tolerate this in our lives, but Jesus makes it clear. He says, do not tolerate these things. Do not drop your guard in these things. You see, we justify our compromises by saying that we don't want to be considered narrow-minded or outdated in our thinking. And so we engage and we find ourselves further and further away from the truth and further and further away from God's presence. Folks, it's time that we wake up and realize how far we have slipped from our relationship with God. And he's calling us to know this. So how should we live then? If we're in this imbalanced lives, how do we rebalance our lives? Well, simply, I want to say to you, it's truth with tolerance. And that's your next outline. Truth with tolerance. That's the balance. And the example is even seen in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus was walking along a road one day, And these guys came, they just threw a woman in front of him and they're all really angry and frustrated. And Jesus looks at the woman and he looks into the faces of this angry crowd. He's like, what the heck? Why is this woman here? And they say, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. She is a lawbreaker. And because she's a lawbreaker, according to the law, she should be stoned. And so they pick up these rocks and they're gonna kill this woman right in front of Jesus Christ. But you see, Jesus finds the balance as he always does. He finds truth with tolerance. He says, you know what? I'm not tolerating what's happening here, but I'm going to tell you the truth of what's going on. And he seriously calls this sin out. He says, this woman has engaged in a sin. Go and sin no more. But also, he recognizes that she's not the only one that's sinning. And she sh- he shows grace and love and mercy and compassion to this woman, just as he did to everybody else in that group. You see, Jesus finds the balance in everything in life. And we need to find ways that we can find that balance as well because we are stuck in this imbalanced cycle we don't know how to get out of. So what are we tolerant of? How do we find this balance? When we look at our lives, are there things at the root of who we are that we are tolerating that we know we should not be, but we're stuck in this cycle? Or things that we're questioning, well, can I get away with this? Or can I do this and still be loved by Christ? 
And if you're in that moment, if you have anything in your life that's like that, I encourage you to take seriously the following. And I'm going to give you four questions you need to ask yourself as a filter as I close. doesn't matter any decision that you make, anything that you do, any action you're going to take or behavior you're going to engage in. These are four questions you must ask yourself. And we need to wake up to these questions. And the first one is huge is, is this issue a major or a minor issue according to the Bible? Not according to me, not according to my thoughts or my feelings or what I want to do or opinions or polls or just licking my finger and sticking it to the wind to see where I'm going to go. It's, is this a major or a minor issue according to the Bible? You see, because the Bible is the truth. It's righteous. It tells us right from wrong. It gives us guidance and it shows us what to do. So if you're engaged in any kind of activity or you're tolerating something in your life that you know clearly the scripture says do not be engaged in, guess what? You need to give that up. You need to stop being tolerant of this, lest you be judged in that manner. Not only that, but the second part of this question comes like this. It says, do you have a biblical conviction about this issue? And the basic plain sense principle is this. If it's doubtful, it's dirty. If something is biblically convicting you in your soul, you should know that you should not be engaging in this. You should know that you need to take seriously what you're truly starting to think about, what you're convicted biblically about, and start to act upon that principle rather than just what society wants you to act upon. And why? Because that brings us to our third question. And it says, when we look at it, how will your decision impact an immature believer? You see, you're not on an island. Believe it or not, the decisions and the actions and the behaviors that you make affect everybody else around you. You never know when there's somebody who's just watching you, who may not be a believer, who may not be a Christian, but is somebody who wants to learn. And they're watching to see how you react, how you behave, how you move your life in a certain manner. And if they say, well, they're doing it and they call themselves a Christian, why should I engage in this Christian lifestyle when it's no different than what everybody else is doing over here? You see, we have a responsibility to others and we cannot be tolerant of certain things and we need to take a stand as Jesus calls us to. And the last and final question I want to direct you to is this. Will this reflect my love for the Lord? Meaning whatever action, behavior, attitude, whatever it is that you're deciding to engage in or not engage in, will it reflect your love for the Lord? Because if it doesn't, you shouldn't be doing it. Because the heart of the matter is that you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And then what you please to do is going to please the Lord. That's the root of all of this. And it's time for us to truly gauge in our lives to see what are we tolerant of that we should not be tolerant and that we should be making a stand and that we should be holding firm to. But why? What's the benefit for us holding firm to? Well, you see, there's one last promise and benefit that's mentioned at the tail end of this passage. And we find it as a reward in verses 27 and 28. And it is so encouraging to our daily life. It says this. It says, verse 28, I will give the one who holds fast the morning star. There's no doubt what this means because in chapter 22 of Revelation, Jesus says of himself, I am the root of the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. See, this is a promise that no matter what it is that you're going through in your life, no matter what society or your group of friends or your culture or the norm, whatever it is that you're engaged in, no matter what they throw at you, the promise of Jesus Christ is that if you hold firm to him, that he will be there with you. And he will help you because he is a firm planted God who does not waver, who does not give in, who does not compromise, but is there to help you and not to hurt you. Folks, it's time that we wake up and we realize that we can no longer be tolerant. 
that we need to take seriously the truth of what Jesus is calling us to. This is what he says to us as a tolerant generation, to hold fast, to stay strong, to fight the good fight and win the race. Because if that happens, then he promises to be with us. I don't know about you, but that's so encouraging for me. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, in this secular and, God, just this increasing secular society, there are people who are clamoring for Christians to just to tolerate, God, to just go along, to give in, to compromise, to reduce their boundaries, God, and start to push you further and further away. But God, we hear your word so evidently true this morning, so evidently powerful and clear, God, that you say, hold fast, that you say, do not compromise. Do not tolerate these things. Do not drop your guard. Do not be like this church of Thyatric, but rather be strengthened by the presence of God. God, we pray that you do strengthen us. God, that you lift us up. And God, it doesn't matter how far, how deep, or how wide we think that we are engaged in these things, God, we pray that as we go through these doors, that you open our eyes to see the reality of our lives and that we are willing to make a change and to stand for what we know to be truth, which is you. God, let us hold fast to you. We pray this in your heavenly name. Amen.